comes to us this morning from Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers. All things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Well, good morning and welcome to worship this morning and welcome to those who are participating online. We're certainly glad that you're here with us this morning on this Mother's Day, this Lord's Day, this day when we gather to give God all glory and praise and honor. Three weeks ago, we started a series of sermons, a couple weeks ago, on the Apostles' Creed. And we're walking through the creed that we said earlier in the service, going line by line. And this morning, we are considering the line, Jesus, His only Son, our Lord. We believe in Jesus, God's only Son, our Lord. Let us pray. Oh Lord, now in these moments, we ask humbly that You would be our teacher, that Your Holy Spirit would speak in the midst of any fears we brought this morning, any anxieties or any doubts that we might be attentive to your word, your eternal word, your word that does not change. Amen. As we came to this topic this morning, talking about Jesus, his only son, our Lord, that line that we say in the creed each week, I was reminded of um, the words of Michael Green. He is a British historian of evangelism. He addressed a group of pastors and not long ago, and he asked them this question, when was the last time you told your congregation what Jesus means to you? When was the last time you told your congregation what Jesus means to you? You know, as a pastor, I, I talk about Jesus a great deal, but talking about Jesus is a little bit different than confessing my own personal core convictions. So, Maybe for the good of my own soul, and hopefully perhaps for yours as well. I, I want to this morning tell you a little bit about what Jesus means to me personally. And the first thing I would say is that he is my, my teacher. He is my teacher. In the words of the text that we brought forth this morning, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is my teacher. When we look at Jesus, we see God. We see what God is like. We see um, His character, the way God would talk and speak and, and react and, and interact with, with all kinds of people. When we look at Jesus, Paul reminds us, we see what God is like. And as such, He is the most fascinating person in all of human history. I I can't imagine anyone that even comes close to the character, the person of Jesus. When, when I consider Jesus, I, I, I can't believe, it's astounding to me, his courage. 
Think about being on the sea in the storm that's raging in a, in a small boat. Waves are coming and everyone around you is panicking. Everyone is crying for help and he's asleep. He's asleep on the stern of the boat. He had incredible courage like, like no one I've ever seen in history. And the wisdom of his teaching is like such that I've never encountered before. The wisdom of it. I mean, think about 2,000 years and it still makes perfect sense what he taught. It applies today perfectly. I can't find anything in his teaching that I, I don't marvel and say, how did he know? That's what we need. That's what we need to be about. It's what we need to do. It's what I need in my own life. The, when he told stories, they were amazing. His parable of the prodigal son is a story that I have been researching and praying over and reading for, for my whole life, and I still get amazed every time I read it, the wisdom of it. I've never heard a story like that, and I'm still learning more about this small, short, simple story. Each year, it's like I see a new insight. I, no one else in history has ever taught the way Jesus did. And then he had this incredibly sharp wit and integrity in dealing with his critics. I, I can't believe the way he, he dealt with Pontius Pilate, who was so patronizing and talked down to him. And he was so steady and calm and, and wise. I'm humbled when I consider Jesus as my teacher when I think about his compassion. The way he cared for those that no one else cared for. When he met the woman at the well, very few people in her life would even speak to her. She was considered an outcast for a whole lot of reasons, because of her lifestyle, because of her religion, because of her, where she was born. And Jesus walks up to her, meets her, talks to her, asks her questions, cares about her. The least. It's amazing to me that he would do that and do it in such a compassionate, wonderful way. And I love the winsome, playful quality of Jesus. As my teacher, I, I, I love how he approached situations. I, I think about that time when Jesus was at a wedding and, and the bride and the groom, they, they ran out of wine, which was just the worst thing you could have happen in that day and age. And that, that was the custom. You had to have wine for the whole party. And they ran out, and Jesus, with a twinkle in his eye, decided, well, we're going to fix this. And he changed water into wine. And not only that, but he did it in a way so that the bride and groom got the credit. Everyone said, what a great couple they are. They saved the best wine until the very last. They're amazing. I've never considered anyone in human history that would do and act this way. I'm amazed at his sheer intellectual brilliance. The way he interpreted Scripture. The Pharisees kept coming at Jesus time and time again, challenging him, thinking that they would trap him, and they never could. And they often went away just shaking their heads saying, we can't believe this. We've never heard teaching like this. How did he know? How did he see that? Again, when I think about Jesus, I, 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 I think he is my teacher. 
There are a lot of would-be teachers out there in our world today. They don't hold up. When I go home from work, I might be tempted, I don't do this very often, but I might be tempted to turn on cable news shows to hear about what's going on in the world today. And I don't think it really matters which cable news broadcast you watch, left or right, it really doesn't matter. They're basically giving me the same three messages. Basically, when I see the media, maybe social media, this is what they're telling me. Number one, they're saying, you need to be afraid. You need to be very, very afraid of what could come. That's their teaching. And then I hear Jesus say to me, do not fear. Don't be afraid. The second thing is they, they say is, you know, who, here's who you ought to hate. Those people on the other side. You ought to really hate them for what they might be able to do, what they could do, what they're going to do. You ought to be fearful and you ought to be hateful toward them. And my teacher, Jesus, says, no, no. Love your enemies. They tell me that when those who have a fall or who say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing, you know, you, what you ought to do is cancel them. Be afraid, hate the other side, and then at the end of the day, cancel them, disregard them. And I hear Jesus teach me, and he says, no. No, you know what you do with those people? You forgive them. He's an amazing teacher. My, my personal trainer, if you will, and, and he's, he's very tough. This is no gentle Jesus, meek and mild. He shouldered the cross. He challenges me to deny my self-protective ways. He asked me to take up my own cross. As I, I read through the Gospels, I find that there, our current conception of Jesus, who's there to kind of hand things to you and give you everything you want, and make us happy all the time, is not the one presented in the Gospels. People found him time and time again, his teaching, to be too tough. If you read through the Gospels, people, when they heard Jesus teach, they said, no, this is too hard, we can't do that. And they walked away. And Jesus let them move, let them go away. He wouldn't sacrifice the truth for convenience or for the happiness of those around him. And so as my teacher, he calls me to turn away from consumerism and partner with the poor. He teaches me to work for justice, to seek reconciliation, to reach out to others near and far away. And above all, my teacher, Jesus, teaches me to love people the way he loves me. This Jesus is tough, and he doesn't let us off the hook. You've heard what Mark Twain was fond of saying, it's not the passages of Scripture that I, that I don't understand that bother me, it's the one that I do understand that bothers me. I think he's true. This Jesus is committed to making me a new creation, and that is no easy task, let me tell you. But he won't give up until my character begins to resemble his own. And he always speaks the truth. When our son, our firstborn Andrew, was young, we knew that he had some delays, speech delays and cognitive delays, but this is 26 years ago before autism was really talked about much, so we didn't know what was going on, but we knew that he was really, really struggling, and it was really tough, and we finally got an appointment with somebody who is kind of an expert in the field, and we were looking forward to this appointment, <coughs> and 
this doctor went through a number of things and told us about this and this and this. And Andrew was about 10, 11 years old, and I'll never forget what this doctor said as we were leaving the office. He said, I need you to know this. By the time Andrew is 16, he will have grown out of this. Went into that office needing hope. I needed hope. We desperately needed that word, and he gave it to us. And he was wrong. In fact, he was completely wrong. In fact, young people like Andrew who have autism actually often peak at about age 9 or 10, and then they begin to regress which is what our situation was. How hard was it to hear these words of hope, these great words of hope, and then watch it slipping away and not happening? Now, I don't know why this doctor said this. Maybe he wanted us to feel good. Maybe he wanted us to like him. Maybe he just didn't know. But I find there are a lot of people in this world who will give us false hope, who will tell us things that aren't true so that we will like them, or respect them, or need them, it's not true. And as I look at the words of Jesus, and I look at the way he acted, he never does that. He always speaks the truth, even if it's hard to hear. He is my teacher, but he is more than that. He is also my Savior. Again, in the words of the Apostle Paul, he himself is before all things, And in him, all things hold together. In Jesus, all things hold together. He is my Savior. He has saved me from my sin. He's saved me from the sin of my past, the mistakes I've made, all the wrong choices, all of my self-centered mistakes. He saves me from having to compare myself with others. He saves me from never feeling good enough about who I am. He saves me from worrying about whether I'm good enough or approved. But most importantly, this Jesus saves me from my two biggest enemies, sin and death. And he conquered both of them. But as Savior, he also asks a lot of me. Now, I want you to hear this. He asks more of me than I would prefer. He asks more of me than I want, but he gives to me more than I can imagine. One of my favorite stories about Jesus comes from all three of the Gospels. We hear about it in in Mark chapter 5. We were told that after Jesus crossed over the, uh, the sea on the boat, a large crowd met him. And when that crowd was around, the leader of the synagogue came and approached Jesus. Now, the leader of the synagogue, that was like the senior pastor of the town. He was a big deal. Everyone knew him. His name was Jairus. Everyone knew Jairus. And he came, probably had some people with him, his followers. And Jairus came to Jesus. And when he saw Jesus, Jairus fell at his knees beside himself. And he began to beg My dear daughter, he said, he's weeping. My daughter, my 12-year-old daughter is at death's door. Come and lay hands on her. She will get well and live if you would do this, Jesus. And Jesus says, okay, let's go. And the whole crowd is tugging along and everyone's pushing around and crowding. 
And in the midst of that move toward Jairus' house, a woman who had suffered a hemorrhage for many, many years, 12 years, chronic, had had many doctors come to her, many people treating her, um, all of them treating her badly, and they all told her, you know what, this is your own sin, it's because of this hemorrhaging and this bleeding, it's your fault. But she also had heard about Jesus, and she thought, if I could just touch his robe, if I could just touch him, then maybe I will be healed. And so she did, and Jesus felt power coming out of him, and she was healed. The flow of blood dried up, she could feel the change and at that moment, Jesus, who felt the energy go from him, he turned around to the crowd and he said, who touched my robe? Who was it? And his disciples were like, come on, Jesus, come on. Everyone touched you. We're all kind of in a crowd. We're all moving around here. That, you know, um, what are you talking about? But Jesus says, no, I need to know. He went on asking, who was it? Looking around to see who had done it. And this woman, you can imagine, shaking wanting to be anonymous, not wanting to have everyone look at her. She knew she was the one. She stepped forward with fear and trembling, knelt before him, and she began to tell Jesus the whole story. The whole story from the beginning of how she had suffered, how she'd had all of this bad treatment of other people, how they had told her and all this. And Jesus is intently listening to her. Maybe they sit down at a moment, and at that moment, can you imagine Jairus? Um, you remember? We, we, we got to go. Why are Come on. That must have been so nervous for him. Why are we stopped? She's had this condition for a long, long, long time. Maybe we could have waited and cured her later because my daughter... Do you see how Jesus won't be to anyone's timing but his own? And Jesus talked to her and cared for her. Listened to her. And then word came from Jairus' house. They said, don't bother him anymore. Your daughter has died. Your daughter has died. Jesus overheard what they were talking about. And he said to Jairus, don't listen to them. Just trust me. That's a big ask. Do you hear this? That's a big, big ask. And as my Savior, he says this to me. Don't listen to them. I know they're trying to get you to be fearful. And I know they're saying this and this. Don't listen to them. Trust me. Trust my timing. Trust my plan. Trust my will. Friends, that is not a small ask. It's a big one. But this is what our Savior asks of us. But He's also more. He is also my Lord. Again, in the words of Colossians, Paul's letter to the Colossians, He's the head of the body, the church, He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. You know, every week here at Mountain View, we, we stand and we say the Apostles' Creed. We, we say this most weeks. And we get to this line, we believe, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. It rolls off the tongue. It's part of the flow. It, we say it in a rote way. It just, it just comes. 
But do we really stop and know exactly what we're affirming when we say that? In the early church, this statement would have got you imprisoned. You weren't allowed to say Jesus Christ is Lord or anyone else is Lord because Caesar was Lord. You, this is a radical statement. And by the way, it's a political statement. When we, you and I stand on Sunday morning, when I stand and I say Jesus Christ is my Lord, I'm rejecting all others. And I'm rejecting all allegiance to others who would be, other would-be lords, political leaders or media influencers or whoever it may be. No, he's the one that I listen to. He's the one I trust. He's the one that I follow. We are turning away. We are giving Jesus our allegiance. We listen to him. We trust him. And so often I forget this. I forget that he's holding all things together. When we say Jesus is Lord, we are confessing not only are other people not holding the world together, but I'm also confessing I'm not holding the world together. And I want to think that I am. And I want to think that I'm strong enough. I want to think that I can kind of control my own world. You know, it's, it's almost like I, I'm saying to the Lord, I'm saying, thank you for creating me. Hey, great. Love it. Um, you went to the cross for me. Oh, wow. Thank you for that. I'll take it from here. When we say Jesus is Lord, we are saying the opposite. I'm handing over. I'm letting you run the show. Every time I worry about what other people think, I'm not receiving Christ's Lordship in my life, the love that he offers. Every time I try and control the people around me, I am not receiving the peace that he offers, and I'm not understanding that he's the one that's holding all things together. Every time I begin to have fear about my future, I, I fail to recognize that he's Lord. He owns and controls my future. Every time I am tempted to think that might makes right, I forget the sacrificial way that he is Lord over this world. He really does want to be Lord of our whole life, and he wants and needs to be in charge. He is my teacher. He is my Savior. He is my Lord. He's all those things, even though I fail each and every day. But he's also more. He is also my hope of heaven. Again, in the words of Paul, through him, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of the cross, his cross. See, he is, Jesus is my only assurance that one day death will be defeated, evil will be ended, mourning and crying and pain will be no more. Sometimes I find myself praying that ancient one-word plea that the early church used to say. It had a wonderful word, and it was Maranatha. And they would pray that word, Maranatha. It means, come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. Come, make all things new. Come and wipe away every tear. Come and defeat our enemies' sin and death. Come, bring your kingdom here on earth. When he had sent them all out, Jesus took Jairus and his wife 
child's father and mother. Along with his companions, he had Peter and James and John come with them. Jesus said to Jairus, I need you to trust me. He took him, his mother. He went into the little girl's room. He took her by the hand and he said, Talitha kum. Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. The word translated here is a little bit more intimate than that. Little girl is a very good translation, but it's a little more intimate than that. It, it's like Jesus, was say, Jesus took her hand and said, honey, it's time to get up. Come on. It's time to arise. And at that, this one who everyone who was weeping and crying and mourning over, who were convinced that she was dead, all of the people in the house had convinced that she was dead. At that moment, she got up and she began walking around. She was 12 years old. And they, of course, were beside themselves with joy. I read this story I hear and see the tender reaction and action and patience of Jesus. And I discover there is so much hope for me when I think about our son Andrew. That one day all things will be made new. All things will be made new. But mostly though, what I see in this story is I have the assurance that one day he's going to say to my Andrew, our Andrew, my son, my little one, it's time to get up. It's time to arise. See, that's a hope that I have. That's a truth that I yearn for and long for. But it's also the hope that you can have as well. That one day, our Lord Jesus will say, my beloved son, my beloved daughter, it's time to get up. Come. For the words of that great spiritual, on that great getting up morning, right? So that's the Jesus that I believe in. He is not always easy or comfortable, and I do not get my way when I follow him. You know, there are many people today who believe that Jesus Christ was a figure in history, that he did a lot of good, that he pointed people to God, but they are not prepared to affirm him as God himself. They do not see him in their future. So what about you? I told you a little bit about what he means to me. What does he mean to you? And maybe you're not sure. And maybe you have lots of questions. But maybe you can begin with what you do know or what you think you know. Start there. Read the Gospels. Read through the wonderful stories of Jesus. And then keep going and pray and ask him, Lord, show me who you are. I want to know more of you. It's a wonderful prayer. 
Maybe you could make that prayer just in the moment of quiet we have now. Let us pray.